Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you guys today as we kick off week two, and your future self will thank you. I really believe this series, hopefully you'll hang with us through this whole series, because it is going to be a series of hopefully ahas for you that will help redefine how you're going to live 2023, and that you will look back, hopefully six, 12 months, maybe 10 years from now, and say, that was the time that it redefined how I lived, and, and I am so thankful I am so thankful that I was willing to do that, and I wish I could go back and, as the future self, thank the the, uh, past self for the decisions that you made, and I hope that that is true for you today. Uh, Today, we're going to kick off kind of where we left off last week, and we're going to, I want to just begin with the question, as you think about the new year, resolutions, goals for the year, what spiritual attribute What spiritual attribute is key to any goal or resolution? We talked about this last week. It is the idea of self-control. It is the last in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, but self-control, and I'd love to give you a definition for that, it is doing the right thing even when you don't feel like it. Doing what's right even when you don't feel like it. Now that's something, those of you who are parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, teach that to your kids, your nieces and nephews, to your grandkids. That is, it's more than just delayed gratification. It is choosing the right thing, even when the right thing is the last thing you want to choose. <laughs> Doing the right thing. And it, it is hard, right? Anytime you have tried to do this, there have been probably times where you've run into a wall of like, why is this so difficult? Why is it so challenging? Now to answer why, why that's so hard, we're going to look at the writing of the Apostle Paul who not only wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, but he was used by God to begin the first century church movement, starting churches that that spread all throughout Europe and eventually came to North America where we have church today. It's incredible we have him to thank for his obedience to God and what God did through him. But he, in a moment of absolute vulnerability, of really laying all his cards on the table, he said this about this internal struggle of self-control in Romans chapter seven, and maybe you can relate. He says, I do not understand what I do, for I do not do the good I wanna do, but the evil I do not wanna do, this I keep on doing. Now, arguably, I think that might be the most relatable verse in the entire Bible. Have you ever had a moment like that? where you say, yeah, the good I'd really like to do, I can't quite get myself to do that, but the evil that I don't really wanna do, I can't seem to stop doing that. Even on my best day, I struggle with this. And and this is not something that was just plaguing Paul, it is right here with us, right down to this very day. It is is really uh, powerful to look at this and ask ourselves, how does this relate to us today? And why doesn't self-control always work? Why doesn't it always work? Why is it such a struggle? Well, 
One of the thoughts is, well, maybe we just don't know enough. Maybe there's a hack or there's an insight or there's a, another TED Talk we need to watch or a book you need to read or a conference you need to go to, and maybe you could get the, the secret to how to get more willpower and that you could figure it out, and, and now all of a sudden you've sort of cracked the code. But Paul tells us it's not a matter of knowledge. He says, I know the good I ought to do. I just can't get myself to do it. We know the good we ought to do many times. We just can't seem to get ourselves to do it. Isn't it true, when, when we start a new year, many people have fitness and diet as a, as, a, as a goal going into the new year. And many times it's not because you don't have any knowledge of how to, where the gym is, or it's not about, not, you don't know what, what, are, what are good, healthy things to eat. I have no idea. It's not because you don't know these things. It's getting yourself to do them right? That is the real challenge. You see, um, it, it, our biggest obstacle, our biggest obstacle isn't a lack of resources. Our biggest obstacle isn't a lack of knowledge. Our biggest obstacle is the enemy we encounter in the mirror every morning, right? It's, it's that guy, that girl that looks back at you in the mirror every single morning, that there is this tension, you know, we all feel that, yeah, I want to do the right thing, but man, there's a part of me that, that also is enticed to do the thing I know I should not do. This is why the motto of our culture, just be true to yourself, you be you, that kind of a motto is just destructive, and it's confusing at best when people say that. And let, me, let me talk about that for a second, because my pushback to that would be, which self am I supposed to be true to, okay? Because there is a civil war, there's a battle going on inside of me sometimes. And, and almost in every level, and you have it too. All I have to do is go past a magazine rack on the way to the checkout at the grocery store, right? And I look down, and I go, oh, look at that celebrity with the six-pack abs. That would be nice. I would like that. But then right next to it is a celebrity chef from, you know, uh, Food Network that's made a cheesecake with strawberries all over it. I'm like, I want that too. Do you see my, my kid? My I can't, which one am I going to do? I can't have both. I can't eat cheesecake all the time and have abs. I can't have abs and eat cheesecake. But this is just a microcosm of almost every area of our life. Sexually, if we give in to every impulse, every desire of our heart sexually, I promise you, you won't stay in a relationship with anybody, right? It will destroy all of the intimacy that God had in store for your life. And so we have to step back and say, what we're being sold in our culture, in our world is false. And there is a deeper truth that we need to embrace and understand and that is that we have some enemies when it comes to the self and, and specifically self-control. So let's talk for a couple of minutes here about what are the enemies of our self-control. And I wanna share two of them with you today. And here's the first one. First enemy of self-control is self-control uh, is our sin nature. Now, maybe you have not really ever heard of the sin nature or maybe you have, but you're not real clear on that. We're going to talk about that and kind of unpack that right now because the Apostle Paul goes on in the same passage, Romans chapter 7, to begin to explain how that is at work in his life and what is true of him is true of me and you and every other person. But here's what he, happens, what he says about this, this sin nature. He says, 
Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I that, that do it, but it is, let's say it together, it is sin living in me that does it. I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. In other words, I have decided in my mind that I want to follow God and his word and his truth. That's what I want. But in my what nature? In my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. That there is this tension that I feel inside of me. And you have felt it too. And we don't really have language for it outside of the Bible. We, we don't really know how to talk about it or how to even win at this war, but there is a civil war that's happening inside of Will Lewis and inside of every one of you. At all times, there's a tension that's going on. And where does that come from? Scripture says it, it goes all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, at the fall of humanity. And it was, for all practical purposes, the first self-control test that was ever done. Okay, It was done on Adam, first man, and Eve, first woman, in this lush garden that God had put them in. And he says, of all of the trees and all of the fruit of the garden, I want you to stay away from this one tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to stay away from it. Don't eat of it. And you know the story. They failed miserably the test. The... Eve was tempted, she took a bite, Adam came along and said, oh, that looks good, he ate the rest of it, right? And what did, how did they respond? They responded by blaming. And we have been biting and blaming ever since. It's still with us, right down to this day. And, and it sort of begs the question, it kind of helps us to understand the, the tension that we live with. How can we be selfless one moment and um, selfish the next? How can we be selfless and, and kind, generous, gracious to other people and almost seemingly in just a few moments or maybe later that same day we turn around and say, how can I be so ego, you know, egocentric, so, so selfish, so all about me, so, and I would even go so far as to say so stupid, right? Because when we get through, we say that was stupid. Just like Paul says, I knew better, but I didn't do better. That actually, by the way, is the definition of a biblical fool. It's someone who knows better, but they don't do better. They're like, I know if I put this poison in my body, it's no good for me, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna do this anyway. I know that the end, when I play the movie in my mind, probably doesn't turn out great for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. And this is what happens. And if we go to answer this question, we look at it through the lens of Genesis, it gives us a beautiful, elegant answer to this question. How can we have that duality inside of us? And here's how. The selfless part of us that is gracious and kind is us reflecting the one in whose image we were made. We are told we are made in the image of God. We reflect that image. And when we reflect that image in a selfless, humble, and kind way, it is beautifully attractive to other people. It is what makes us commemorate people. It is what makes us memorialize people because they were selfless and loving and kind. But what is it that causes us to be selfish? That could be traced back to the fall. When sin entered into the world, when sin began to plague the hearts of men and women, and that is still with us. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why we need a savior. This is why we need God's intervention into our life. It's not something we can self-generate. 
In other words, the whole idea of self-righteousness is a farce. It's something that Paul spoke against over and over in the scripture. We cannot generate self-righteousness. It is something that is given to us through Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he was talking about evil in the world, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, he says, the birthplace of all evil is right here in the hearts of people. He says, from out of the heart come evil thoughts. And then he lists them. I don't have time to go into all of them, but Jesus goes into it. And he says, "Um, you need to know that evil is real. And I know in 2023, this whole idea of evil can sometimes cause people to push back and dismiss it as an antiquated old idea. If at best, evil is something external, it's way out there, it's something we need to be afraid of that could come and attack us, and it could take lots of different forms. But the truth is much, much more uncomfortable, Jesus says. The evil isn't way out there, it's right here. It is right inside of us, and the potential for evil lies within every human heart. And we have to take it seriously. But I want to tell you, we live in a day, a culture, that will tell you the exact opposite. There is a blindness when it comes to this understanding that you will be told over and over, no, what you really need to understand is you're basically good. Everybody is basically good. And you need to just believe in yourself, make yourself happy, go after whatever you want, whatever you desire, whatever impulse or desire of your heart brings to the surface. You ought to go after it. And if you do that, it will release your multi-splendored awesomeness to the universe, right? Woo, baby, because you're a firework, right? I borrowed that from Katy Perry. (laughs) But the reality is, most of us get out of bed every day and say, just trying to make it through another day. It's hard, it's difficult, and I'm struggling, and there's a civil war on the inside all the time. There was a great research study that was done by the Barna Group recently where they surveyed thousands of Americans all across the U.S., and they were looking for the answer to one question. What are the biggest temptations of Americans? And here's the list they came up with. Procrastination, 60%. Worry, 60%. Eating too much, 55%. Too much time on media, 44%. Pornography, 18. Cheating, 12. Drugs and alcohol, 11. And the list goes on and on. Now, the researchers did say, as we get into the more serious temptations, we truly believe that the numbers were uh, skewed down from where they actually are. Because let's be honest, most people don't wanna out themselves. They don't wanna be as honest and truthful as they probably should be. But here's the most shocking thing that came out of this study. It wasn't the temptations that we all fall to. It was the fact that Americans as a whole have no idea why we fall to these temptations. Only 1% of those who were researched cited the role of a sinful nature. Only 1% showing this massive disconnect between the way the American thought process goes and the way the reality that Jesus taught us that it went. Like this is the way the universe actually works. This is the way you as human beings actually function. Here is how you relate to God. And we have dismissed that to our own peril. And and the result is we are finding that we have less and less and less self-control, less and less and less willpower to do anything good. 
The American Psychological Association shockingly said this, Americans consistently name a lack of willpower as their number one character deficit. This is us, this is our nation, saying we can't control the self very well. Willpower is not our wheelhouse, it is not our strong suit, because we've gotten used to giving in to impulses. Whatever the desire is, that's what we're gonna go after, and we're paying the price. And just like Paul, we know the good we ought to do, we just can't seem to get ourselves to do it. We are failing miserably when it comes to exercising that kind of self-control, exercising resistance to temptation to sin. But it's kind of like a blind boxer that's in the ring and just keeps getting hit over and over and over and, and over, and we don't know where the blows are coming from. We don't know where the punches are coming from, which guarantees we will never win. We will lose this battle over and over and over again if we're not willing to step up and say, God, we want to embrace your truth. We want to open our hearts to that, the fact that we are your children and we need your redemption. We need your wisdom to guide us. You see, with, until we're willing to accept God's truth, accepting the truth of our sin nature arms us with the clarity, the ability to see that we will, uh, the clarity that will keep us from becoming slaves to our own temptations, our own impulses and our own desires of our heart. That is the clarity that we need. It's the will willingness to say, God, I need your wisdom. I need divine help so that I can resist temptation and I can embrace what is righteous, as God calls it, God's righteousness. And God makes his righteousness available to us through his son, Jesus. And that righteousness is what sets this stuff right within us. It is in our process of submitting to him and learning how to become the person he created us to be that sets us free. It is what opens up the door to real, true freedom in becoming the man, the woman God created you to be. Some people push back on the Lord, thinking, well, if I fully give myself over to God, I won't be who I am any longer. I'm not, I'll, I'll lose myself. But I, I wanna challenge you with a, a beautiful metaphor. Think about it like this, like salt, right? If you just tasted salt and you've never tasted salt before, you might think, whoa, that is powerful stuff. And if you put that on anything, it would overpower all the other flavors and you wouldn't be able to taste a thing. But salt, when it's done right, it brings out all the most amazing flavors. It is so good. You find out, wow, I want to put a little bit of this on everything. It's incredible. But people push back on God for the same reason, thinking there's no place for him in my life because I'll lose me. And the fact is, God, the one who created you, is the only one to know how to guide you into becoming the one that you are actually, deep down in your soul, that person, being able to discover who you really are. And it comes from being able to submit our self to his. It's beautiful. So, 
We have this enemy within, but we also have an external enemy. This leads us to number two when we ask like who our, uh, the enemy of our self-control is. Here's number two. The second enemy of our self-control is the devil. I know for some of you, you're going, okay, whoa, this just got weird. All right, get your purse. We're getting out of here. All right. Let me just say, just take a deep breath. It's okay. I know you may be thinking this is going to get spooky or something, and I realize that some Christians have pushed to the limit of, of, of spiritualizing things, the demon behind every bush, and every time the copier jams, that's a demon. You know, everything is a demon, and so, I, and which is, is, is sad because Jesus was very overt about the fact that there is a spiritual adversary, the devil, Satan, the accuser, um, the, um, the, the one who is, uh, you know, our, the destroyer. There's so many names that were given to him. But I want to talk about this for a minute because it is such an important thing to be aware of spiritually in our lives. And we don't have to be afraid because we have been given a power that will overcome any attack that he may bring in our life. As a matter of fact, the half-brother of Jesus, James, gives us this beautiful piece of wisdom in James chapter 4, verse 7. He says this. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will, let's say it together, he will flee from you. He'll hit the exit. You submit yourself to God. God, I want what you want. I'm going to follow you. Resist the devil. No, I, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that would like to go with this temptation, but I'm going to resist. I'm going to turn. God, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I'm going to follow you. And he says, and he will flee from you. And this was something that not only did James hear his brother, his half-brother, Jesus, teach, but he also saw him model and emulate over and over and over. As a matter of fact, we're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 17, or verse 15, that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he did not fall. He didn't fall to the temptation. He didn't fall to sin. And there's even a moment, and I want us to look at it together, where Jesus has this showdown, this confrontation with the devil out in the desert. And he had been fasting for 40 days before it happened, seeking God over this time. And at the end of those 40 days, we're told that the tempter, that's exactly what Matthew calls him, the tempter comes to Jesus. And I want us to take a look at these three temptations that Satan brings to Jesus, and we're going to make some observations I hope will be helpful for your life too. Let's take a look at, this is found in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 3. Here it is. The tempter comes to Jesus, and here's what he says. He says, if, notice if, he's, he's questioning, if you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. So there's kind of a two-pronged attack that he's doing on Jesus right here. If, as if to say, you need to prove it. I'm questioning your identity. And secondly, I know you're really hungry, and that bread would be exactly, it would satisfy your deepest longing of your flesh right now. Now, nothing wrong with food for the body. God made us to eat food, but he had blocked off this time. I'm committing this to you, God, and I'm gonna abstain from food for this period of time. And it had not come to an end yet. It wasn't over yet, but he's trying to tempt him. So what was Jesus' response? What did he respond? He says this. He says... Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus is pointing us back to the power of God's word, of his truth, and putting it into his life, putting it into um, himself so that he can combat when he gets attacked. Now, I just want to encourage you, as you go into 2023, maybe you have never thought about memorizing scripture in your whole life, and you might even be one of those people who go, I think that might be impossible for me to memorize a scripture. I promise you, if you can memorize a phone number, if you can memorize a friend's name, you can memorize scripture. You can memorize the promises of God. Now, I might encourage you to do that in this new year, because if you'll take a look, as you'll notice as we go through this, the only counteractive measure that Jesus had. The only defensive and offensive weapon he had in this fight with Satan was scripture that he had memorized. That's how powerful it is. So he says this, and now Satan takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, the highest point where you can see for miles and miles, and everybody can see you. And Satan says, I want you to throw yourself down from this pinnacle and have the angels of heaven come and catch you and let everybody see it. Now this may sound like a silly stunt. Why would he do this? Well, this would be an easy way to validate his messianic identity. Nobody would question after the the angels of heaven rush down and catch him. But it was not in keeping with his father's will, his plan. And also, it would be a miracle purely to just do a stunt to show off. If you'll notice, every other time that Jesus does a miracle, it is to serve the need of another person. It is putting someone else above himself to meet their need and show them something unique and beautiful about God and how he loves them specifically according to their hurt or their need in their life. This was the way Jesus used miracles. This was a misuse of miracles. This wouldn't reinforce his identity. It would contradict his identity. So he, he says to him, um, uh, this is his response to the, the throwing down from the temple. He says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Like, I'm not gonna put God to the test doing this. This is not his will. It's not what he's called me to do. I'm not gonna do this. And then next we're told that Satan whisked him away to a top of a mountain and showed him all the powerful kingdoms of the world, all of the most powerful people of the world, all their wealth, all the access to the splendor that they had. And then he says this to them, verse nine. He says, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Notice right here, this is exactly what James says, if you will do this, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is exactly what Jesus modeled right here. Now, I want you to notice, what what did all three of these temptations have in common? This is so important. What did they have in common? Wasn't it that all of Satan's temptations are just shortcuts? They're shortcuts. Think about it for just a minute. What did he tempt him with? First, bread. He's telling him, hey, why don't you turn these stones to bread? Well, the moment that Satan left, we're told the angels came and attended him took care of every need that he had. He was about to get from his father everything that he needed in terms of bread. He didn't need Satan for that. 
proof of his identity. That was the second temptation. He knew who he was. He didn't have to do some stunt, some, some trick, some sideshow, you know, circus act in order to, to prove who he was. He knew who he was, and he didn't live to just placate and, and to um, live for the audience of, you know, making other people happy or to, to wow them. That's not why he did miracles. He even says, I only have come to obey the Father. I have come to live for an audience of one. And as soon as we learn how to do that, life becomes way more freeing and way more powerful. And finally, he promises him all the kingdoms of the world, which Jesus knew God was about to come and lay at Jesus' feet. We're even told after his resurrection in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And later we see the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying that it is at the name of Jesus, this is what the Father in heaven will do, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That he was going to elevate him above everything. That Jesus knew that it was in God's time, that all these things would come to pass in God's way with God's blessing. But there is a shortcut that will shortcut his blessing too, and it brings with it great consequences. You see, everything Satan dangled in front of Jesus was something that he was going to get from the Father anyway. It was a way that seemingly looked like, here, you can have this without having to wait. You can have this without having to go through anything painful or difficult. You can have a shortcut. This is a life hack. It's easy. You don't have to wait. Those people who are waiting are suckers. You can have it right now. In other words, he was, he was trying to sell him on exaltation without a cross. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to pay that penalty. You can have it right now. And I love, because this is, this is so beautiful, because this is exactly the way we get tempted by him right down to this moment. And you see, Jesus sets us such a beautiful example. He chooses the harder, slower way that requires faith in God. He's saying, this is the way you do it. This is the path to righteousness. This is the path to freedom. This is the path to everlasting life. Follow my lead. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Follow what you see me doing. There is great power in it, even if it contradicts everything you're hearing in your world, especially when it does. You see, Satan hasn't changed his strategy not one little bit. He's still working us over with the same lie. There's a shortcut. You can have it right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till marriage to have sex. You don't have to wait and do it God's way. You don't have to go ahead. If, if your heart's telling you, you have this impulse, you have this desire, you should go after it. And people do that over and over and over. And it creates such emotional and spiritual devastation. Not that God can't heal, he can and will if it's given over to him. But we are the ones who reap the negative, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching consequences. It's so important. I know even in my own life, I see this is the times where Satan comes to me and tempts me. It is when I am 
figuratively, literally hungry, right? I'm dissatisfied with life. And he comes and he says, listen, you should go after whatever you think will make you fulfilled. Go after it on your terms now. I don't care if it's sin. You're a grown man. You're a grown woman. You can have it. Go for it. Don't let anybody tell you you can't have it. If anybody tells you you shouldn't go after the impulses of your heart, they're wrong. And we ought to cancel them. Probably ought to put them in jail, right? That's a horrible place to be. And, and God is saying, listen, I want you to come and trust me. I got your best interest in heart. I love you. I created you. I know how you're wired. And I love that Paul gives us this beautiful clarity and insight. He says in Philippians 4, 19, and my God will meet how many of your needs? All your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying, just trust me. Come and follow. I'm not gonna drop you. Even though you walk through the darkest valley, you can fear no evil, for I am with you. Emmanuel is his name. God with us. He loves you. You gotta trust him, though. And I understand we live in a world, you are inundated. Media, all of it, social, etc., is constantly messaging us the opposite of the, what I'm telling you today. This is why it's so important that we're willing to hold on to it, that we would counter Satan's lies with the truth of God. And guess what, guys? He will head for the exit, he will leave your life. And here's the question I need you to really think seriously and deeply about where do you need to trust? Trust and follow Jesus down the longer, more difficult path of faith today. Maybe put it another way, where are you being tempted to take the shortcut right now? Fudge the numbers, flirt with somebody you shouldn't, go places you shouldn't on the internet, partying in a way you shouldn't be, I'm not here to be your moral police. I'm just here to say, would you be honest with God this year so that you can begin to grow like never before? This is your opportunity. These kind of opportunities don't come along every single day. God may be speaking to some of your heart today to say, this is it. You need to take this seriously. This is an incredible turning point for you. This could change everything, but you've got to really begin to say, I'm yours, God. I'm yours. Jesus, I'm gonna follow you this year. Would you be willing to do that? And if you will, your future self will thank you. Here's our prayer. We're gonna to pray together today. Simply saying, Jesus, I need your wisdom and help to resist the temptation to take the shortcut today. I commit myself, my self-control and my life to you. Would you be willing to do that today? Right now, I just wanna ask you if you would, let's bow together in prayer and we're gonna have a two parts to this prayer. The first part will just be asking you to commit whatever area of your life that you're tempted to take a shortcut. And would you be willing to commit to asking for his help, his wisdom, his word to combat that temptation, that lie that Satan is sneaking in there on you today? And then the second part would be simply to, for those of you who have never begun a relationship with God, it is open to you through his son Jesus. You can begin a relationship with him right now. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Right now, all across this room, God, I have to believe there are those that are living with this tension, this internal civil war. 
And it's time, God, that we come clean and we say, God, help us not to give in to this shortcut anymore. I don't want to live as a slave to the sin nature, not another day. I don't want to get owned by Satan, not one more time. I'm done. I want the freedom that you offer, Jesus. If that reflects the cry of your heart right here, right now, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Anybody here? Let's just get honest. No use in wasting another Sunday. God, thank you so much for the honesty in this room. Thank you, Lord, for all across this room, there are those who are saying, yes, God, I'm tired of getting owned. I'm tired of being a slave. I'm tired of being a prisoner to sin. I don't want to live like that anymore. Would you just tell him, God, I choose you. Jesus, I choose your word. I'll follow you. I want the freedom you offer. I want the easy yoke that you provide. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. Right now, just tell him, I give it all to you, Jesus, and I'm going to follow you from this day forward. You may lower your hands. And God, I pray for those in the room right now that would honestly say, I don't know where I stand with God today. I don't know where my relationship with Jesus is, but Scripture has been given to us, and it says that I have written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. They have confidence. Would you just confidently right now just say, Jesus, I'm inviting you into my life. You can begin this relationship by starting right there. Jesus, I invite you into my life to forgive all my sin. I'm placing my faith and I'm trusting that when you died on the cross and resurrected from the dead, that was to pay a penalty for the sins of all people who are willing to receive it. That's me today. I'm receiving it right now. Would you apply that forgiveness to my life right here, right now, Jesus? Would you receive his forgiveness for your sin? Just feel it, that forgiveness melting over your heart, forgiveness covering over your sin. A new day is beginning for you right now. And then follow up by saying this, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord, my leader, my forgiver and my leader. If you just prayed that for the first time, asking Jesus to be your forgiver and your leader, would you just lift your hand right now saying, Will, that's me. I'm giving my life over to Jesus, asking him to be the forgiver of my sin, the leader of my life. Anybody here doing that for the first time today never has done that before? Anybody here? We thank you for your love here today. We thank you, dear God, for speaking to our hearts today. We thank you for showing us a way out of this prison cell of no self-control, becoming victims to the sin nature and to Satan's attacks in our life. Thank you for your love. Thank you for giving us a path forward. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. 
That's BrazosFellowship.com.